0: This week, I read the following in a book, and I'm just going to read it out for us. After the Netherlands fell to Germany in 1940, deacons in the Dutch Reformed Church rose up to care for the politically oppressed, supplying food and providing secret refuge. Realizing what was happening, the Germans decreed that the office of deacon should be eliminated. Responding in a general synod in July of 1941 the Dutch believers resolved quote whoever touches the diaconates interferes with what christ has ordered for the task of the church whoever lays hands on the diacona lays hands on worship and in response to this the germans backed down from their demands you know, I, I read that and I'm just struck with that, like, Nazis wanted to outlaw deacons. What a concept that that is. That, that, that these deacons were so troublesome to, to the agenda and the regime of, of the Nazis that, that they would have desired to outlaw a biblical church office. What was it about those deacons that scared the Nazis in that way? What was it that was causing such a problem for them that, that the church, just being the church and seeking to care for those around them, was a threat to the oppressive regime of the Germans? When the deacons led that effort to care for others, they, they threatened the control of what the Nazi empire was seeking to impose upon the Netherlands at that time. The deacons were a powerful force in the midst of a troublesome time. Well, here we are, and we've been moving through this series on biblical church polity or ecclesiology, and again, we recognize that... that uh, some people might approach subjects such as this and with a yawn and be like, "Okay, you know, well, how are we gonna how are we gonna get through this?" But in reality, this is so critical and so crucial for us as a local church because, again, we live ecclesiology every single day. We began by considering what is a church, and last week we examined what are elders, and this week we will learn from the scriptures what are deacons. What is this office that God has given to the church? And just like we did last week, we're going to spend a few moments looking at different models that exist in the world and in the culture today, and then can, seek to consider what is the biblical model for what is called the diaconate. So first, let's let let's just look around and consider, okay, what's what's around us in the world today? What are the models that are out there? This is a slide that if it pops up, we'll see it. It's not moving. Uh, this is a slide that we saw last week as far as when we were talking about the concept of elders. Some church have a single elder or single pastor model. And in this structure, often there is a deacon board that functions underneath the single elder or the single pastor. Sometimes that deacon board almost almost functions like what well, we would say elder board ought to function like, they are actually caring for and providing leadership for the church. Other times, the deacon board is nothing more than a group of yes-men that are there to do whatever it is the pastor says to do, and whatever he says, that must be the word of the Lord, and we go and abide by that. But really, it can function in a variety of ways, and we discussed some of the issues with this structure last week. Oftentimes, churches that are structured this way actually add a, another office, and again it's not advancing for me here, and, and they, they add a third group and they call these deacons, and the, or rather they call these trustees, and often the trustees actually function how we would argue deacons ought to function, and they end up fulfilling the role in that way. Well, I hope there's some obvious issues with this. Just as we see this kind of model displayed for us, we don't find anything in the Bible about anything about trustees, right? That's just not there. This model really comes from a uh, kind of a corporatized church mindset of just like, well, if we view it kind of like the way businesses are structured and there's a board and there's trustees and, you know, kind of view it that way, it's just kind of functioned and structured like a corporation might be structured. But the problem is, the church is not a corporation, right, We're not a business, it's a ministry. And so we don't find this to be a biblical structure of church governance. There are some churches, though, that this is less about the structure of the church, and if you could advance there, this is less about the, the structure of the church, and more just about the viewpoint of how deacons ought to be viewed, Right, some view deacons almost as kind of like a stepping stone on the way to another office. So the office of deacon is not necessarily a calling in itself that I'm, I'm, I'm to fulfill a, a purpose here as a deacon, but it's rather viewed well. My real goal is I'm trying to be a pastor someday or I'm trying to be a, a, an elder someday, but in order to get there, I have to go through the stepping stone of first I'm a deacon, then maybe someday I'll be an elder, and then maybe someday I'll be a pastor, This is very common in the Roman Catholic church system. You start as a deacon before moving up to being a priest in their system. Another way that we can almost see this uh, expressed, you know, the stepping stone idea, we see this expressed in a variety of ways. Sometimes deacons to elders, hold on, go back. Uh, Sometimes deacons to elders, uh, to to pastors. Sometimes we see this even with the role of, of pastors. So you think of like the, There's the youth pastor. And the youth pastor is only a youth pastor because he's trying to be a senior pastor. It's it's viewed as like a stepping stone to the thing that he's really after. Like the the, the office is not viewed as as a ministry and an end in itself, but as a stepping stone to something else. And that's a mindset we want to avoid. When the Bible talks about deacons, it doesn't present it in such a way that's like, this is something that you can do on your way to doing something else you're not really interested in this deacon thing you're actually on your way to something better you're on the higher ground right? No, we, we don't want to view it that way the office of deacon exists for the sake of there's a very important function of deacon within the church now is there a reality that some men do do serve as deacons and then eventually serve as elders yeah that happens is that okay Yes, that's okay. It's okay for individuals to at one point serve as deacons and at another point serve as elders. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But the question and the misconception I think we want to avoid is the purpose of deacon nothing more than a stepping stone to elders. And to that we say no. That's not how the Bible presents it. It's not just a pipeline for elders. Now you can go on to the next one there. Some people view deacons as just mere handymen or bookkeepers where, you know, it's just all the, all the material things of the world that need to be dealt with. Perhaps you've heard something said of this nature. Uh, the elders, they take care of the spiritual things and the deacons, they take care of the physical things. I think there's, there can be some element of truth with that, but I believe we're star- if this is our starting place, we're starting in the wrong place. Right, just because someone might be good with their hands or might be really smart with money, doesn't mean they should automatically become a deacon and serve the church in that way. Right? Can fix an AC unit isn't a biblical qualification for deacon, right? We don't find that in the biblical text. We may end up in a place where there are there is a deacon of facilities of sorts. But we must not reduce the office of deacon just to, uh, these are the handymen and these are the bookkeepers and this is just their job and that's what they do. We don't want to reduce it to that kind of mindset. These are are some ways that churches view deacons. Before I get into what I believe is the biblical approach, uh, there's one more misconception that I think we need to address and talk about. And what I'm about to show you is actually compatible with the last couple of slides that we've just seen, the way some people think about the office of deacon, that the deacons can function in these ways and also function in this other way. But this has more to do with the actual structure of, of almost like authority structures or, um, yeah, a polity structure in that way, and that is this here. Poly structure that is almost structured more after our American governmental structure rather than on what the Bible says. So you might have like checks and balances, divisions of power, you've got the, you know, the, uh, the elders, the pastor, and the deacons, and these are like the three branches of government, so to speak, and so there's, there's checks and balances in the midst of this. Uh, oftentimes when there's a a structure of this at play, there's elders and the deacons and they're vying for control. All the while, there's the congregation and they're the ones voting about everything. And so in many ways, the congregation is actually the one that has the real power and control over things because they're voting in elders or deacons and they're voting guys out and they're doing all these things. It becomes very political within the life of the body of the church. In this model, you might have elders... Again, over the spiritual things and deacons over the physical, but the two offices are equal in standing, and so what might happen practically and functionally, elders might technically have spiritual authority, but the deacons hold the functional power because they have control over the budget, and they're at odds with one another. They're not seeking to work harmoniously with each other for the advancement of ministry, but but they're jockeying for power and control. That's not the way the Bible presents churches ought to function. The church isn't designed to be this place where we vie and jockey for power and authority. We're to exist for the work of the ministry. So I'd like to present to us what I believe is the biblical approach to church governance, we saw this last week as when we talked about elders. We believe there should be, in, in, in an ideal scenario, there should be a plurality of elders. And sure, there might be a, a staff pastor or a teaching elder of sorts that is, does the primarily teaching responsibilities, but the lay individuals that serve as pastors or elders, they are also pastors. They are also responsible to shepherd the flock, to guard the flock, to feed the sheep. So we saw that this was the model that we saw last week was well, we consider that and and bring deacons into the picture I believe the biblical model will look something like this biblical church polity structure this is for the purpose of the work of the ministry The elders are tasked with spiritual oversights of the church that includes all the things that I just mentioned before about guarding the flock and and feeding and caring for the sheep, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. The deacons help by stepping in and taking care of, of other things so that the elders will be free to shepherd the flock. Now, I'm about to go to the next slide, and I'm just going to warn you right now. I'm just about to make it really messy with a whole bunch of arrows, okay? That's what's coming. Go ahead. We see here. Yeah, I just made it messy with a whole bunch of arrows. The elders, their responsibility is the ministry of the Word. We see this in Acts chapter 6. They're dispensing the ministry of the Word. They're seeking to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, And so their primary responsibility, their primary activity is to preach the word. We talked about that last week. That's what elders do. They preach the word of God. They equip the saints for the work of the ministry. They guard the flock against false teachers and wolves that would come in amongst and ravage the sheep. And they care for the souls of the congregation. Well, as they equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that ministry goes out, right? The are uh, equipping individuals so that we may minister to one another, and so it might be hard to see, but there's little arrows between each individual within the church where the, the ministry is going back and forth amongst in one another. We're discipling one another, caring for one another, praying for one another, but then it goes out beyond the walls of the church, out into the community. We're proclaiming the gospel among people, that's why this morning is we're talking about apologetics, how do we defend the faith and reason through. The purpose of that is to equip you so that in your conversations with people that you come into contact with, you can be equipped to have good conversations for the sake of the gospel of Christ. And the deacons, they are to assist the elders in addressing things that might distract the elders from their primary roles of responsibilities. And often this is a lot of Practical matters in ministry. You know, we talk about the handymen and the and the bookkeepers and individuals like that. A lot of times functionally it works out that way. But it's not just because these individuals are good with their hands. The purpose is to allow the elders to fulfill their ministry that God has called them to in proclaiming the Word and equipping the sheep. So the deacons are to step up and address the needs that arise in order to keep the elders free to shepherd. So this is the model that I do want us to consider. Now the question that we always must ask anytime we're considering things of this nature, okay, is this biblical? Is this what the Word of God shows forth? Is this the pattern that we have for us in the Word of God? So let's find out. Let's turn in our Bibles and let's... We're going to begin with Acts chapter 6. and While you're turning there, there's just a couple other preliminary comments that that I do need to make along the way. Uh, First, just so we have an understanding of what uh, the word deacon means, so that uh, we can have a good understanding of this concept. The word deacon comes from a Greek word family that, that means service or ministry. To show you this in a visible form, we have the Greek word diakonia which can be translated as service or ministry. There's the Greek word diakonos. That's another noun that refers to the servant or the minister himself. And in a technical sense, when we're referring to the office of deacon, that's the word that will be used. Diakonos is, a, is the technical term for deacon, but it's also used more generally and broadly for all servants and all ministers in a variety of ways. And then there's the verb diakoneo, which means to serve or to minister. It is the act of serving, the act of ministering, Diakaneo. Obviously, these words are related, right? The, the, the beginning is all the same. It's just the ending that's different, that clues us in that there's a, that slight differences going on. The struggle with seeking to understand deacons is that this word group are used all over the place in the New Testament. And not all of those contexts is it referring to the formal office of deacon. The word is used generically so often just to speak of everyday service. You know, just like, think of like Boy Scout material, just, you know, all the different service projects and things that would be done, raking leaves for someone, helping the little ladies across the street, you know, all those sorts of things. It's just serving people practically. That's, That's service. That's a ministry praying for individuals, Bible study with individuals. That's it's a ministry to one another, encouraging them in the word. It's ministry. It's, it's a generic way that we refer to diakonia, service, ministry. But then there are just a handful of texts where the word is used in a much more technical sense to refer to a deacon, the office of deacon. And the truth of the matter is, is there are Not very many texts that refer to deacon in that technical sense in the New Testaments. There's so much on elders, really just a couple of texts on deacons. And the passage that we're about to study is probably not one of the texts that is speaking of a formal office of deacon. However, I do believe that there are principles for us that are helpful for us as we do try to understand how deacons ought to function. So as we think about Acts chapter 6, again, most commentators don't believe that Acts 6 is necessarily the beginning of the office of deacon, and there's many reasons for that. (laughs) However, most of those same commentators will also argue, and I agree with them, that, that there is a model presented here, and that we can learn a lot from this passage that is informative for us for the office of deacon. Even if deacons aren't technically in this passage, the principles apply to the office. So, I hope you see the distinction there, and, and that makes sense. So, what are the principles here? Well, let's let's begin to read through our text, and then we'll break it down and see, uh, develop some conclusions from this text. Acts chapter six, and I'm beginning with verse one. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said. and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Just a few things to kind of set the context for us as we look at this passage early In the book of Acts, tens of thousands of people traveled to Jerusalem for this event, the the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And at that time, God pours out His Holy Spirit, and there's amazing things happening within the church, or within Jerusalem. Amazing things are happening here. After Peter preaches a powerful sermon, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ all at once. And Acts 2 says of this new group of people that that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And it says, All who believed were together and had everything in common. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we continue to progress through the early portions of the book, there's so many people in Jerusalem, they come from out of town for this event, All of them are hungry for the word of God. So even after the Jewish festival ends, they stick around. They have this new faith in Jesus Christ. They're, They're a part of this new thing called the church. Like, what is this? This has never existed before. Now, here we are, we're a part of it. And we're hearing the apostles. We're seeing all these signs and these wonders. It's amazing. But they're away from home. They're away from their typical means of Supplying food for themselves. And so as a result, then these new converts, as they're gathered together, they're generously sharing whatever they have for the sake of meeting the needs of one another for these individuals that don't have a means of supporting themselves in the city. In Acts chapter 4, we see something similar repeated. And I'm just going to read, this is Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Again, we still have these displaced peoples in Jerusalem, these new converts, don't have a way to support themselves, but the church is caring for one another and distributing the funds as they are needed. In chapter 5, we read how things continue to grow. Chapter 5, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now, I was reading some commentaries this week that were trying to estimate how many people were coming to faith in Christ. There were some that were estimating as many as 20,000 people coming to faith in the early portions of the book of Acts. 20,000 people. Now again, that number is really impossible To verify and check and see how many it was. The number was certainly in the thousands and thousands of people. So when we come to Acts 6, that's the backdrop of what's been going on. People have been selling their land, they've been distributing it upon uh, anyone who has need, and there are needy people. Well, here in Acts 6, we find out we have an interesting problem. Some individuals are being neglected a complaint by the Hellenists against the Hebrews that they were being overlooked in the daily distribution. We need to understand who Hellenists are. Hellenists are individuals. They were Jewish by descent, by blood, but they had become so immersed in Greek culture that they really didn't even speak, many of them didn't even speak Hebrew any longer. They they were so thoroughly immersed in Greek culture, they were really Jews just by the fact of of their descent and their blood, Otherwise, culturally, language, all these things, they were Greek through and through. And so we have a group of Hellenists living in Jewish Jerusalem, believing in Jesus Christ, but then being overlooked when this money is being dispensed to those in need. And that's a problem right, that's a legitimate problem, like this shouldn't be happening, this, this, this shouldn't be an issue, but it was. And we can speculate why, maybe there's a language barrier, and so maybe the needs aren't being communicated, maybe there's different communication issues, uh, maybe there is just the Hebrew as they're just distributing the stuff, maybe they're just looking out more for their own people rather than the Hellenists as well. Again, we can speculate all day long, but the reality is, is this is just what was happening, And so there's a problem, how will it be addressed? And this is where we start seeing the principles that will help inform us as we start thinking about deacons. First, we see the priority of preaching. The priority of preaching, that we ought to prioritize the preaching of the Word in in verse 2. The twelve apostles, they, they summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The apostles, in this statement, they're not trying to minimize the problem as though it was brought to light and they're just like, oh look, okay guys, we just, we just don't have time for this, Okay we're not even going to worry about it. Like, I, I don't have time for this. It's not really that big of a deal. We're just going to overlook it. No, they didn't approach it with that kind of mindset. No, they did see it as a big deal. That's why they're going to propose the solution that they're going to propose here. But even though it is a big deal, they knew that they were not the ones to attend personally to the issue. They had to give themselves to the preaching of the word of God. The ministry of the Word needed it to be prioritized. Here's how one author put it into discussion of this point. He says, a church without deacons may lack health, but a church without biblical preaching cannot exist. In fact, there is no such thing. The apostles had to prioritize the word because without that, there would not be a church. There would be no gospel. There would be no believers. A church forsaking the preaching of the word has really ceased to be a church at all. We talked about this when we first started examining the definition of a local church a few weeks ago. We know the necessity that the word of God be proclaimed. We also discussed this last week with the office of elders that one of their primary functions is to preach the Word of God. That's Paul's charge to Timothy. Preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and teaching. So this is the primary responsibility of the leadership of the church, the ministry of the Word. But what happens... When other issues come up that can threaten to take time away from this commitment to that all-important ministry of the Word of God, what do we do when tensions arise and there could be distractions from the primary function that the elders are to be giving themselves to? John Stott was a pastor of a church in London. He was, stayed in the same church for 66 years. And he once wrote this, discussing this passage. He says, there's, there's really no hint, there's no hint whatsoever that the apostles regarded the social work as inferior to, go, to pastoral work or beneath their dignity. Right, it, it wasn't that that the pastor was just like, oh, I can't get my hands dirty with this. Right, this, is, this is just, this is just, this is below me. It wasn't that, but rather it was an entirely a question of calling. They had no liberty to be distracted from their own priority task. They had to give themselves to the ministry of the Word. So what's the solution? It, this is a real problem. This, this does need to be addressed. This isn't, this isn't an unimportant work. This, this is a real issue that needs to be addressed. Here's the solution that they examine in verses 3 and 4. Pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Again, they must not be distracted from their own priority task. Instead, the principle at play here is to deputize Deacons. We need to prioritize the preaching of the word, but we need to deputize deacons for the purpose of addressing legitimate needs within the community. Legitimate needs amongst the church. Now again, we're not making the argument from this passage that, that, this, that this is about the institution of the office of deacons, but we are arguing that these are transferable principles to how we think about deacons, right? The apostles here encouraged the, the congregation to identify men who are reputable, full of the spirit and wisdom, and that the apostles then would appoint them to this task. And I think that's an important point, that the, the apostles just didn't give the whole peep, the, the, the congregation just free reign on just, hey, whoever you want, just throw them up in there. It'll be great. Go, go for it. Knock yourselves out. So they sought the recommendation of the people, but then they appointed them to, the, to address the issue. And so we see that they give qualifications. They've got to be reputable, full of the spirit and wisdom. They've got to be wise. they got to be godly. They would be appointed to this task. And, and really, as we think about this concept of the qualifications, we see Overlapping concepts in where when uh, when Paul gives the specific qualifications for deacons in First Timothy chapter three verses eight, and I'm going to read this text where he says deacons must likewise be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Right, if if they're going to be have the responsibility of distributing the goods to people in need. Well, they need to not be greedy, right? They need to not be seeking dishonest gain. They need to be honest individuals. They need to be reputable, dignified. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They need to know the word of God and cling to it and have a clear conscience before God. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless Likewise, their wives must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, and let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. And for those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope you can see how it's in these qualifications, they're really so fundamental to the ministry that deacons provide. If they're to be entrusted with, with important matters like the distribution of funds, then they must be good, honest, trustworthy, skilled, and conscientious individuals. And unqualified individuals would wreak havoc upon the church if they were placed into this position. Let's jump back to Acts chapter 6 and finish reading what is there, what we have in this text. They, they identified these individuals, seven men. They installed them. These they set before the apostles. They prayed over them, laid their hands on them. And then in verse 7, it says, The word of God continued to increase. We notice that the men that they selected, these were all Greek names, right? It, it's Greek individuals, the, the Hellenists that were being overlooked. So they made sure they got some Hellenistic Jews serving in this capacity to make sure to see to it that this need would be genuinely addressed and not overlooked. Apostles prayed over them, appointed them to the service, and turned them loose to be able to accomplish everything in their responsibility. You know, there are, some, there are some pastors or elders who, for lack of a better terminology, they, they can be control freaks. They just want to be control over everything. They, they want to have, have their hand in, in absolutely everything. They, they want to do everything themselves and be involved in everything because maybe they think that they can just do it better themselves, or, or maybe they think that they're just, they just need to have that level of control to feel secure within themselves. But here's the reality, and and one pastor put it this way. The pastor who tries to do everything ends up doing a disservice to everyone. The pastor who tries to do everything ends up being a disservice to everyone. Everyone. If the elders, if the apostles in this moment, if rather than seeking to deputize individuals to fulfill that ministry and to take care of those tasks, if they really sought to do it all themselves, they would have been doing a disservice to the whole church because they would not be spending the time they needed to spend in ministering the Word, caring for souls, and spending time in prayer. So pastors, elders... They must delegate what they can to the deacons for the sake of prioritizing the ministry that they have been called to do. And I I want us to notice before we leave this passage how the story ends. The word of God continued to grow. More people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to gloss over that, but just consider the significance of that statement for a moment. If this issue in Acts chapter 6 isn't addressed, that could very well have been the end of the church. Think about the witness of the gospel as it going forth. Believe in Jesus Christ that your sins may be forgiven. Meanwhile, you're building a reputation within your church that you only care for your own. And the Hellenists, we just kind of overlook. We don't care for those. We don't care for the Greeks. We're, we're, we're going to make sure we have the Hebrews taken care of, but we don't care for the Greeks. You think another Greek is going to ever come to faith in Christ at that point? No, their they're witness will be completely destroyed amongst the Greek community. There's not a chance that they would embrace the gospel with reputation like that. Think of the reality within the church. That's the witness outside of the church, but, but within the church, that, that issue right there, that could have caused the very first church split right there in Acts chapter 6. Right? If, if this hadn't been addressed, this, that could have negatively impacted the apostles' ability to minister even amongst the church right then and there. But because of how things were handled, the apostles were able to give themselves to the priority of preaching the Word of God, but then deputize men to address a legitimate issue that needed to be addressed within the life of the church. So we need to remember the, the, the priority and to prioritize the preaching of the Word of God, but not ignoring the legitimate issues, but deputizing the deacons to address those issues. So in summary, we could summarize it in this way. What do deacons do? They assist the elders. They assist the elders by by taking care of the things that would distract the elders from their primary role of responsibility, the primary things that, that God has said the elders must do, and they take care of them. They identify things that need to be addressed and they address them. They take care of those needs that exist within the community of the church. But they also seek to foster unity. The issue that was threatening the church in Acts chapter 6 threatened the unity of the church. It put strain and pressure upon the apostles and strain and pressure upon uh, that body. There's tension there. They weren't unified. There was a complaint. These individuals stepped in and sought to address things to foster unity, to bring unity back into the church. And as a result, the gospel went forward. As we think about what this possibly could look like, you know, it could look like any number of a variety of things. Anything that is needed as directed by the elders of the church, the office of deacon is a service role. In fact, it's It's in the name, after all, right? The word deacon means servant. So, deacons should deacon as a verb, right? The servants should serve. It may look like handling facility issues so that the elders don't have to do that and they can spend the time studying the word, praying, and caring, and shepherding souls. It may look like distributing funds as needed for mercy ministry when there are needs that arise. It may look like handling technical equipment or or website management or any number of possible things that, that are legitimate needs within the body and legitimate things that need to be addressed but things that might call an elder away from his primary areas of responsibility of preaching and caring for souls. So deacons, they assist the elders by addressing the needs and fostering unity within the church and in so doing... In so doing, deacons have a wonderful opportunity to model Christ-like service to not only the church community, but to a watching world around us. When Jesus Christ came into the world, he said himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ is the model servant. Jesus Christ is the one who gave himself and demonstrated that self-sacrificial love for the whole world by dying on that cross that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and him alone can have eternal life. He completely gave entirely of himself for the sake of others. And deacons have a very unique opportunity to step up and to provide a Obviously, they're not dying for people, right? They're not, they're not uh, giving their lives in atonement for sin. But they have our opportunity to model selfless service that we see in Jesus Christ. And in so doing, allow the elders to give themselves to the office and the task that they've been called to do, guarding the flock, feeding the sheep, and tending to souls. And here we are, Pillar Fellowship, a small church plant, as we stand here or sit here today, as the case may be. Uh, we don't have any deacons. This is where we're at in our development as a church. What I'm about to say is not a complaint, so please don't hear it that way. There's a lot of things that, that I do that, in an ideal world, would be done by a deacon in that office. And again, I'm not saying that by way of complaint I'm more than happy to do these things as they are necessary so that our church may continue to function and to grow but I will say just having studied the word of God and looking forward to the day when the Lord does bless us with qualified individuals to serve in the office that when we do have deacons serving in that position for the sake of the health of the church that that will be a good day (laughs) a good day for the furtherance of the gospel A good day for the furtherance of unity within the church. That the elders of this church, whoever they may be, may give themselves to the preaching of the word and to prayer. And with that, let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word and what it says about this office of deacon Lord, I pray that you would rise up, raise up uh, individuals that can serve as deacons within this church body. I pray that as needs are identified and uh, can be addressed by others, I pray that you would uh, just seek to uh, that you'd bring bring these things about, Lord. We desire to see a plurality of elders. We desire to see a plurality of deacons. Perhaps some of those individuals that are even here today. I pray that you would grow us and strengthen us in this, and that we would seek to not have a, a church polity structure that's just governed by our own ideas and whatever is present within the culture, but that we would be govern ourselves according to you, what your word has to say. Lord, I pray for whatever the emergency is, as we hear the sirens of the vehicle passing by even now, we don't know what's going on, but we do pray that you would your hand of protection would be at work there, that you would... Help the first responders, give them wisdom, give them courage, give them strength, and that you would uh, step in and and, and provide the help and the grace that is needed for whatever this emergency is that uh, that vehicle has just passed by. Thank you for the time that we could spend together today. I pray that uh, your name would be glorified among us today in our lives personally, in our church, and as we engage the world around us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.